0: You're listening to Radio Ed,
1: a University of Denver podcast.
0: We're your hosts, Nicole Militello, Alyssa Hurst,
1: and I'm Lauren Fultzenberg. Whether it's after the death of Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, or the calls for racial justice and reform, the political rallying cry these days seems to be a four-letter word, vote. But thanks to the coronavirus pandemic, even that seemingly simple American process doesn't seem so simple anymore. The United States Postal Service finds itself in the middle of a political fight over election security, legitimacy, and whether it should even exist. Michael Nalick is a management professor at the Daniels College of Business who specializes in the areas where business and politics overlap. So we started by asking how the Postal Service became a political issue in the first place.
0: I mean, the Post Office has always been somewhat of a political issue in the history of the Post Office, and this dates back to the fact that the post office has a lot of unions. That's a lot of public service unions. And Republicans traditionally have always been against unions. Um, it's, you know, it's always been that labor is for Democrats and business is for Republicans, to put it simply. And that's how it's been for decades and decades and decades. And so the post office has kind of always been a target of Republicans because it does have powerful government unions. And Republicans are known for union busting to weaken the position of these unions because these unions support Democrats. And so anything they can do to weaken their political rival, um, they think it's beneficial to them. And so there's always kind of been somewhat of a disdain for the post office by Republicans that view it as a big government operation that supports their rivals. Now, I think it's taken definitely a different turn of late than it was before. Um, and so it's, it has that unique position of whether it's a kind of a business or a service as well. And that's kind of where the framing of the post office has kind of tilted towards now.
1: You specialize in the intersection of business and service, public service anyway, politics. hmm Can you explain how it sits in this gray area?
0: Yeah, it's because the post office, I mean, if the, especially the importance of the post office and the historical importance of the post office has always been where you could almost view it as an infrastructure. It was a way to communicate because in the past you didn't have the internet, you didn't have social media. I mean, you could even say television and radio even the days before then but you had the post office. That was the primary means of communication, especially, and you can even discuss when, you know, World War I, World War II, things like that, the primary means of getting information back and forth to loved ones and soldiers was, you know, it was mail. And so the mail has, has, a, has a kind of a history in society as a means of communication, but that means of communication has shifted. Now it's kind of online, social media, the internet, and all the various forms that that encompasses. And because of that, the commercial viability of the post office has been questioned. And that's not, and it is a fair question of should the post office be a commercial service? You know, we know that it charges for its service. It has probably millions of businesses as its customers. Um, Of course, the public as well, sending mail back and forth and cards and things that you know you want to have in your hand and you don't want to read on the internet but the i guess the overall question is whether the post office should be work should be viewed as a commercially viable operation or a public good you know a public good isn't supposed to make money and if we look at the post office and we say can we get to kind of a revenue generating model and if you get to that revenue generating model, what would that take? Would that be a cut in service to rural areas? So rural areas that um, would no longer have that daily service or it has instead it has weekly service and it charges more for certain areas than it does for other areas, kind of like what UPS and FedEx and the private companies are able to do. Um, if it charges, a again, a revenue neutral rate, Can it uh, also serve the underserved communities? And so we'd have to look at what that would would look like, what the business model would transform to if we think of it as a commercial service where it's not losing billions and billions of dollars. Um, Would it still be beneficial as a public good? And then the, the question is, do we need it to be? Should it be a public good? All these are really policy questions. They're not political questions. That's where things have turned. Is Unfortunately, we live in a society that's so politicized now that we're not able to understand what policy is anymore in a lot of ways. Because policy, honestly, is gray. It doesn't take um, its numbers, its facts. It doesn't take sides. And so I think, honestly, I, I can't get into whether the post office what it would look like, because I don't have the policy numbers behind me to really review, because that's how I look at it, is I would wanna see if the post office was getting to a point where it could be commercially viable, what would that look like to service, who would that hurt, and things like that. So you at least you can um, evaluate the benefit cost analysis of the revenue versus the public good.
1: Policy, from what I understand, is what got the post office into this financial mess in the first place, hemorrhaging all of this money. Is that the reason that the post office is struggling with its bottom line? That's not the only reason it's struggling with the bottom line. I mean,
0: indeed that the post office has had the first class mail had peaked volume in 2001 and has declined by 43% in 2017 compared to that 2001 number. So that's not the only reason, but that accountability act, Basically, force the post office, it obligates the post office into paying its pensions um, at the present value over a 10 year time period, which no private business in the US has that obligation. No, and private businesses don't do that. So it has really put the post office on something like a $6 billion hook. And if you look at just at the 2016 budget, the post office had an operating loss of 5.6 billion. 5.8 billion was, a lot of it at least was due um, to, that, to that wall. Now, the wall wasn't really policy, it was politics. That wall was enacted with the intention of being able to say the post office is, is declining and make the arguments for
1: reform
0: that would cut the number of employees and hurt the union membership.
1: And that decline, coupled with this unprecedented pandemic, is the reason that a lot of people are starting to doubt the post office and whether it's going to be able to safely, securely, on time, deliver ballots. So we've heard everything from well, maybe the carriers are going to lose ballots or maybe someone malicious will change some votes or maybe the processing times will be too slow to have this election be carried out fairly and securely. Are any of these credible concerns to you? I mean, not really. You know, we can take it piece by piece here
0: that there is no evidence to at least ascertain that ballots are manipulated. So the fraud rates of that are are virtually zero. And I think that the states and counties ensure that the ballots received are just as safe as the ballots that you would receive in person. You know, there is no less of concern that if you go to a in-person voting and you go through a machine, that it might change your ballot based on code. There was, it was accusations of that in the 2016 election, actually, and it was found they actually had to shut down a couple of the machines because they did have errors that were doing that. And so I don't think that there, there's processes in place to prevent fraud, various layers of it. There's no history of incidents of fraud. But at the same time, I just don't think that you, know, you have a lot of fraud that comes up through voting by mail in general that there should be that concern. Now the other concern is ballots lost. You know, there is some concern there. You know, I think we always have that concern when we're not in control. You know, we're not in, you know, we're not in direct control of giving our ballot to that right person and how it goes through an intermediary. And I think we've all had some items of mail that have been lost in the past. But again, the incidence of that is very low. You know, with the mail, that there is a certain emotional aspect to it where you're not, don't have direct control over that process. You're you're entrusting somebody else to give your vote, which, again, is a very personal thing, to the correct officials, rather than just doing it yourself. And I think that's where a lot of the fear comes from, instead of coming from any kind of statistical basis. Because like I said, that the incidence of mail loss is very low. And the incidence of fraud is almost non-existent. And we do have a history of looking at mail-in ballots and absentee ballots and things like that through states like Colorado that have done it for a very long time. And there are several other instances of, you know, military ballots and other ballots that are absentee ballots that number, usually number in the hundreds of thousands, if not more, each election. That the validity of those has been have been proved to be correct as well. And so I don't think that the fraud or the fact that you know, you're entrusting the mail to deliver it on time is much of a concern. The third aspect of it, though, is actually the time component, is whether, you know, the mail is going to be have a lot of volume um, through the ballots. But, you know, they have a lot of volume. This isn't like their peak season. Their peak season is Christmas, and they receive so many more um, cards, invitations, other things that go in the mail Uh, during that season than they would for the mail-in ballots that they would receive. So I don't think there's a concern with the volume, but the timing of it could be a concern is, as we know, that the mail isn't necessarily the quickest way of getting something from A to B. And so there is a concern whether if the cutoff times are too soon, then that is the biggest concern that I have. So it's not the validity, it's not whether it gets there, but it's basically a political decision whether to restrict when the cutoff times to receiving ballots are. And that is, that is a political decision.
1: What have you made of USPS's efforts to instill confidence in voters, their strategy, particularly in comparison to a quote unquote normal business?
0: I, I don't think they've done much. <laughs> I don't think they've done much to instill voters. You're starting to see some commercials that symbolically say we've got it covered and things like that. But unfortunately, um, you know, there's a lot of political interference. And when I go back to that other concern, should say, whether there's a concern, I would have said, actually, there wasn't a concern before until the proposed reforms have gone in place, you have DeJoy, who's a political appointee who was just appointed in June. And then postmaster you have,
1: General, got yeah.
0: postmaster general who has enacted all these reforms at the sake of saving the post office, per se. Um, but these reforms, while well, some of them, you know, you have overtime, you have some of the other things that, you know, they want to cut back to some of the budgetary items that you could say are directed at cutting cost, much of the items that I've seen have nothing to do with that. It has to do something with curtailing operations. And so the political interference of the post office is actually my biggest concern. It was none of the regular operations of the post office. It's what's been done currently to to make it seem like voting by mail could be illegitimate. And I do want to make something clear on this too. This is intentional. This didn't come out of nowhere. Um, I read an article today, and it was one of the first articles I have read that had direct statements um, from Trump campaign officials or people related to campaign that suggested that if the election does not go towards Trump, that, and if Trump does not concede, they have a plan to replace electors in, battle, in battleground states that are run by Republican um, legislators. And this is premised on the election being seen as disputable. And so I do believe that this issue of the post office all fits into that game plan. Is if you can say, it's very well known at this point that Democrats by a margin, a significant margin, will vote by mail more than Republicans. And given that, if you can make a claim that there was voter fraud or legitimacy something to that extent then you could dispute the democratic ballots more so than the republicans and if your game is if it doesn't come out in your favor then didn't to with that line of reasoning to to dispute the election results and have this other kind of murky place in the constitutional Um, part of elections, what the the constitution doesn't really dictate a whole lot about the elections or the handover of power and exploit where the gaps are in the constitution in hope that the courts will rule in your favor. Um, All of this starts to make a lot more
1: sense. How does the country step back from this intense politicization? Unfortunately,
0: it takes more reforms than, to be honest, both candidates, or particularly um, candidate Biden, is talking about. You know, you do hear a lot of rhetoric that I want to bring the the country together, Um, and that's what needs to happen. We need to stop seeing our fellow Americans as Republicans or Democrats, red or blue, and states, and penalizing cities for being Democrat or penalizing rural areas for being Republicans. You know, we're all Americans, and as Americans, we all should have faith and belief in our democracy. And I think that needs to be instilled. This wasn't a road that Trump took us down by himself. This is a road that was instilled by, you know, somewhat both parties that have gone down this path to delegitimize each other. And I think we're at the worst point In certainly modern history, of the the polarization of the U.S. and particularly the government. And with that said, we need to look at the steps that took us here. We need to reward bipartisanship. We need to fundamentally think about our government structures and our political structures in detail what has gone wrong. So to really understand the nature of the post office, which is just, to be honest, a symptom of a much larger issue, we have to think about what got us down this path, and we have to take steps to rectify that. And I think that it's, it's a shame that we don't hear more of that. We just hear more rhetoric
1: than, to be honest, reality a lot of people have started to try to take their own steps with these save the post office rallies, petitions, letters to legislators, um, buying postage stamps. Is this the way to do it if the post office even needs saving, so to speak, in the first place?
0: You know, it's not a bad step. I mean, it doesn't harm anything to buy stamps to rally to save the post office. At least you're wetting your Congressmen know your position because that's what it's going to take it's going to take political officials um, that are pressured by constituents to take the necessary reforms that are needed um, to keep the post office you know stable about that um, but uh, but more so, we need real dialogue of what is the role of the post office. you know the reality is is the post office 50 years from now, 25 years from now, these these trends that are ongoing, such as declining mail, um, they're just going to accelerate. And so it needs, we need to have a fundamental policy conversation rather than a political conversation of what is the future role of the post office? Should it be taking on additional responsibilities that maybe are not thought of as essential today? You know, you often see that in um, in a lot of government agencies as well. That rather than dismantle them completely, you restructure them, and you know they take on additional roles that complement their existing roles.
1: But you feel like this institution, which some call obsolete, it's been around longer than the country has been around. You feel it's important that it remains in place.
0: Yeah, because if you, if the post office were to go away tomorrow, you know there's still a significant amount of Americans that receive mail through a wide. Through for a variety of reasons, most sensitive documents actually still go through the mail. Um, I mean, there's still oh, the mail still has its purpose. Businesses still send out flyers and magazines, and you know the the post office does provide a service to the country. Now it's not as important as it once was, but doesn't mean that its role doesn't
1: exist anymore. As we approach election day here, how do you see everything playing out? Whether it's the people trying to receive their ballots or mail them correctly, uh, getting things processed in time, what does it look like? I mean, I think there is
0: confusion because each jurisdiction has their own role, roles on what um, the timing of everything is and when to request ballots, when to send them in. And so I do think it is going to be a confusing process. I think beyond the kind of local jurisdictional um, differences, that I do think that it will go smoothly in people receiving their ballots, Um, and I think actually it will go pretty smoothly in sending their ballots because I think one thing the political pressure has done is put a lot has put a microscope under the post office, and they. And in, in now they, I think, ballots are going to get first priority over everything else. So with that said, I don't think that from the post office perspective, there'll be a whole lot of confusion in, in the process, the inbound and outbound logistics. Where I think most of the confusion will come in is the same thing that happens in every election, to be honest, is that it's because jurisdictional Um, policies are different through each, sometimes in each county, and each state, that people will often um, not understand when to request ballots and when to send them in. So I think that is actually the timing issue rather than the post office as an infrastructure
1: issue. That's Michael Nalek, a management professor at the Daniels College of Business. If you want to read the article he mentioned in our interview, we've linked it on our show notes, du.edu slash radio we also have some resources that can help you figure out the easiest way to vote, no matter where you live. And before you leave, don't forget to rate and review us. We really appreciate it. Alyssa Hurst is our executive producer. Tamara Chapman is our managing editor. James Swearingen arranged our theme. I'm Lauren Fultenberg, and this is Radiohead.